You know, as we started this year, um, there was a couple of challenges that uh, we encouraged you to be a part of. One of those was to uh, take the the reading, um, the reading plan for the year, and uh, just walk through God's Word. Um, as I was doing that, uh, even back in December, one of the things that I was reminded of a couple of years ago, actually uh, multiple times in our ten year. Uh, time, we handed out some bookmarks that uh, had some very good questions on them to help you and help me as we read to, uh, to kind of understand what we're reading. And so we have some up here at the front. If you would like one, maybe you lost one in the last two years, um, like me, you lost five or seven, but um, we'd love to let you uh, have one of those again. And as I was studying, the verse that I want us to memorize, y'all thought that I forgot after the first Sunday because we did not state it the last Sunday, but uh, the, the verse that I want us as a church, you as individuals in the church to memorize, is going to be on the screen. It's Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. And uh, it states this, I'm going to read it, and I'm going to ask you to read the phrase after I read the phrase. Y'all get that? All right, so here's what it states. But seek the welfare of the city, where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare... You will find your welfare. Jeremiah 29.7. We're going to say it one more time. That was good practice. We'll say it one more time. But seek the welfare of the city. Where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare... You will find your welfare. Jeremiah 29, 7. We're going to do it without the screen at the end. That's what I said. Uh-oh. Yeah, exactly. We're going to reverse that too. You're going to say it first and I will. No. Um, if you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Jeremiah 29. And this morning we are going to be looking at Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14. Verses 10 through 14. Here's what God's word states in Jeremiah 29, 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me. With all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, 
And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And here's the last phrase. And I will bring you back. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Heavenly Father, today I pray that this this body, this group that's in this room, Lord, Lord, I pray that as we are here, God, we would grab a hold of the promises that you have. The promises that you have stated, yes, in Jeremiah 29, looking at the children of Israel, but also looking to your beloved who are in Christ, looking to us. God, we would be riveted to you. Lord, we would see that your plans will not be thwarted. That you are acting each and every moment of every day on our behalf. God, this morning, there there are those of us in this room that need some hope. And this passage and this book and your word is hope. Father, would you speak? Lord, for some of us, we need to be confronted this morning. And God, this word confronts. Would you confront us? God, you are omniscient. You you do know all things. You know the truth about all things. You know exactly the second that we will breathe our last here. God, you know my heart condition this morning and our heart condition. God, draw us close, I pray. Speak. And may we be like Samuel. Speak. Your servant is listening. For we desperately need to hear from you. I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Three points this morning, three insights into this passage and this declaration that God has for you. He has declared this to you. He's not just declared it to a group of people who found themselves in physical captivity in Babylon who he sent into exile because of their disobedience hundreds of years before Christ came, he has declared this to you. Because you too, and I, we are exiles. We live in a foreign land. Peter wrote it this way as he opened his epistle. He said, you and I are foreigners. We are pilgrims. We are aliens. We're exiled to this land for 70 years. And then, and then you and I will spend forever and ever 
and ever in one of two places. But he has made this declaration to you and he has made this declaration to me. And the first insight into this declaration is this, that the promises that God makes are many. The promises in this paragraph, in this passage that we just read, the promises are many. They're huge. As as they unfold, as this declaration unfolds, look there in verse number 10. He starts by saying, hey, 70 years and I'm going to visit you. And you're like, wow, 70 years? Lord, it's going to be 70 years? That's a long time. In one respect, it is. In one respect, it is a lifetime. But in another respect, we see that this promise comes about in what one would call a blink of an eye. In a blink of an eye, God's plan for history, this promise comes about and he says, in 70 years, I will visit you and I will bring you back. It's somewhat foreign to us. It's it's 2018. I, I get it. The, the generation that you and I find ourselves in and the generation that we as parents have propagated is all about us. It's all about us. There was a day when parents would say, you know what, I'll, I'll sacrifice for the betterment of my child. I'll sacrifice for the betterment of the next generation. But to us today, it is somewhat foreign. Only think, I could only think of what a mom and a dad who just had a baby boy or a baby girl might have heard when they heard those words. Sure. On the outside, they might say, Whew, okay, Lord, we know there's only a short time. We know that there is an allotted time. But what about next Tuesday when the captivity was there? When the, the taskmaster said something? When, when he, he did something that was immoral to you? When you got... I'm doing air quotes, blessed out for nothing that you did. Could you still have that same thought? Lord, I know that it's just a little while that your promise is true, that you will visit us, that you will bring us back. But the Lord's promise, those promises are many and those promises are true. Verse number 11, he says, I have plans for you. It's a collective aspect. It's a collective promise. Yet at the same time, there is an individual part to it. Because the individual parts make up that collective whole. The individual Jews were to have a future. The Jewish nation was to have a future. The individual sons and daughters of Abraham were to have a future. You and I are the sons and daughters, spiritually speaking, of Abraham. And he has a plan for us. 
all of these promises, one after another after another, he speaks and reiterates for a purpose. He's stating it to them for encouragement. He's stating it to them for promise. He's stating it to them for provision. God is looking out into what we call the future, and he says, I have a hold of it. Yes, I know that right now the hardship that you are going through, it may seem rough. It may seem that there is darkness all around, but there is hope because I hold it and I hold you. 2017 was very tough on us, some of us. 2018, we don't know what it's going to hold. It may be three times as bad. I hope not. It may be ten times as bad. You may not make it through it. The other night I challenged my two teenagers to uh, go to bed. It was a snow day, you know. But I challenged them to go to bed. And before they went to bed, I challenged them to read Philippians chapter 1. And at the end of Philippians chapter 1, I'm reminded and I I asked Mary Morgan about it yesterday. I said, what what jumps out? And he says, oh, it it is very much better for me to go be with the Lord. If we don't make it through 2018, for those of us in Christ, it's very much better for us. But Paul says, it's better for you if I stay here, so I'm going to stay here. Even if it's in these chains, I'm going to stay here. If that's what God has for me, that's what I want. If 2018 is terrible, God says this, I've got a promise for you. I hold the future, and you're going to make it through it. Because I'm going to visit you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to hold on to you. Even in the midst of heartache and suffering, physical captivity, torture, torment, he promises and he works. He promised and the people saw him work. He promised and his name was glorified. He promised and he continued to work. You say, well, okay, that's fine and dandy in Jeremiah, but what does that mean for me? I wrote down a couple of things about these promises for us. Sir, ma'am, please know this. Please know that God is looking out into your future. He's looking out into your week that you don't know what's coming. He's looking out into 2018. And he's saying this, I know exactly what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen in 2018, Lord willing, if I give it to you, I know what's going to happen to you in 2019, in 2020, in 2025, in 2032. I I know what's going to happen. And would you trust him? Would you trust him if he allowed you to go through some heartache in 2018 to prepare you for 2032? 
Would you do it? Would you go through it without grumbling and complaining? Let me sit down for a second. That'd be hard, Brian. Man, that, that, that would be hard. But he says, I know what I have for you. I know what you're going through right now, and I know what is ahead of you. River Bend, I know what's ahead of you. I know what you need. I know what events are going to take place and how you're going to interact with those that you come in contact with. Sir, you need this right now in your life for what I know is coming. You need it. So don't let this circumstance, this situation, this hardship, don't let this pass without you understanding that it's not just for this moment. There is something that he has planned for you. This small momentary affliction, Paul would state, this small momentary affliction or disturbance or inconvenience or issue that you're going through right now, it pales in comparison to what is in store. So go through it with hope. Oh, that you and I would live our days with our eyes focused on eternity. Oh, that you and I would see His promises. That you and I would trust Him with our day. That you and I would give Him our moments in the days. Our families, our time, our finances, our talents. Knowing that He has promised good and faithful and great and awesome things for your future. But Brian, I live in a Burger King, have it your way right away mindset. We'll get there. You and I just need to understand that He is promised and He is faithful. You and I just need to understand that He has the best for us. And if you and I would believe that, today would be different in your life. His promises are many. Second insight into this passage is not just that his promises are many, but the second insight is our attention, your attention, my attention is to remain riveted on him. I thought that was a good word. What in the world's riveted mean? When I think of a rivet, I think of that thing on the uh, airplane wing, those rivets holding two pieces of metal together so that they cannot come apart. That's what it means. To join, fasten, to hold someone or something fast to so that they are incapable of moving. They're incapable of leaving. Our attention is to remain riveted on Him. Look there at verse number 12. Great verse. Great verse. Jeremiah 29, 12 says this. God's speaking to you. Then you, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. That verse is full of action. 
It's more than our attention. It's our whole lives are to remain riveted on Him. This phrase is, it starts with the phrase, call upon the Lord. If you start in Genesis chapter 1, it'll take you a few chapters, but you get over to Genesis chapter 4, and there is this son of Adam and son of Eve named Seth. And it states in Genesis chapter 4, when Seth lived in those days, that's when men started to call upon the name of the Lord. First time the phrase is used. Over and over in the Old Testament, it is used time and time and time again. When someone would give everything that they had, everything that they had, not just a a prayer every now and then when there was trouble, not just a, a little glance in the direction of God, but they would turn their whole lives toward Him. They would call upon the Lord. And when that occurs, God states in Jeremiah 29, that's when you'll find me. This phrase, when you call upon me, added to it, when you come to me, when you pray to me, all of those are terms of action. When's the last time? Outside of this room. Outside of this room. That you turned your attention to him. When's the last time that there was some activity on your part outside of this room on him? On the screen, there'll be a couple of different examples of this occurring. A couple of different examples of this occurring. Uh, The first is in 1 Chronicles I believe 16 verse 8, and it states this in 1 Chronicles 16. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Call upon his name. The psalmist stated it this way in Psalm 86, 5. He says, For you, O Lord, you're good. You're forgiving. You're abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. How does God respond to you when you call upon Him? You're good. How does God respond? You're forgiven. Here's some abounding steadfast love. That's good stuff. That's like the icing that just fell off the the cake piece and you just get to rub your finger on it and just lick it. That is great stuff. And that's what He says to you and me if we call upon. Psalmist states in Psalm 145, verse 18. Nope, yep. I don't know if I have it up there. There it is. The Lord is near. The Lord is near to all who call on Him. To all who call on Him in truth. This past week I was studying for today. And as I was studying, I was uh, reminded that I needed to preach on Friday night at Calvary Rescue Mission. And um, this 
just kept coming up and kept coming up. And I was like, all right, I don't want to preach the same message. I don't want to give Calvary Rescue Mission uh, the first fruits of my labor. You're the church that uh, um, I am to shepherd. And so I want to give you first fruits, if at all possible. But I started thinking about this. And I took them to Jude. And in Jude, a couple of things came out that they were to contend for the faith. He wanted to write this nice little devotional, but he said, I can't because of the day that I live in, the day that you live in, you and I must contend for the faith. And then he talked about some terrible folks who had crept in, and then he spoke about Jesus. And I, I, I couldn't get past this, though, and I shared it with them. How do you know if you hear from God? How can you call upon him? How, how can you come to him? How, how can you pray to him? If you're doing those things, what happens? And the example came of, of Daniel. If you read Daniel chapter 9, Jan, Daniel chapter 10, and the first couple of verses of Daniel chapter 11, you see something take place that Daniel, in the midst of the day and the treacherous times that he lived, he said, you know what? I'm going to ask God for something. And he prays. And that's what happened, he thought. Silence. Nothing. He's like, I, I know, Lord, you aren't deaf. You heard that prayer, but nothing happened. Nothing happened day one. Nothing happened day two, day three. 21 days. He had already prayed in those 21 days. He set aside a couple of things. It's neat. Go read it. He set aside sun lotion. He set aside the king's table. You're like, sun lotion in Daniel? Yep. He, he did not put lotion on his face. He lived in an arid 100 plus degree spot. And he said, I'm going to go without it because I'm chasing after God. I'm going to go without all the food and all the fat and all the great calories that are at the king's table. And I'm just going to have some water and some vegetables for 21 days. Whoo. Could we do it for 21 minutes? For 21 days, he said, I'm going to fast. 21 days, I'm going to seek after God. And at the end of it, Michael comes, the angel. And says, God heard you in the first moment. When, when your prayer came off of your lips, he heard and he sent me. But for 21 days, I have been fighting Satan. In this room right now, there's a war. You can't see it, more than likely. But if the Lord would give you spiritual eyes and he would give me spiritual eyes, there at this moment is a war raging. But please understand this. God's plan will not be thwarted. If you and I would come to him, if we would call upon the Lord, if we would come and pray, he will be found. Jesus wrote it this way in Matthew's gospel in Matthew 6. Therefore, 
Don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows. He knows that you need them all. Verse 33. But River Ben, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness. And all these other things, they'll be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Oh, but what do I do about my son or my daughter? Oh, but what do I do about this boss? Oh, but what do I do about two weeks from now when I know the deadline is coming? Oh, but what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? He said, no, stay in this moment. Rivet your attention. Rivet your thoughts, your words, your actions to him. Because you and I must know this, that God's plan, third insight, that God's plan is coming about. God's plan is coming about. If you look in verses 14 and 15, you see this as he states it. It's verse 14. He says this, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. I will restore you. I will gather you. I will bring you back. Do you believe that? Paul stated it this way in Romans chapter 8. What then? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, if God has said to you, let me pause that verse for a second, if God has said to you, I'll bring you back, if God has said, I will give you a future, I will give you hope, I am right there with you, if God has said to you, I got your future right here in my hand and I know exactly what you need. I know exactly where you're going to be. I am working it all to your good. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't even spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He goes on in the next verse and he says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? What does it matter if the co-worker thinks you're crazy, if you're crazy for God? What does it matter if the guy down the street will not listen to you if you are doing what God says? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies River Bend. He goes on and he says these words. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? 
Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? And he closes it out here. He says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall your hard times in 2017 and 2018 separate you from the love of God? Shall the distress that's happening in your house separate you from the love of God? Shall persecution, if it comes physically, verbally, emotionally, spiritually, if it comes, will it separate you from the love of God? Famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? It's a rhetorical question that he's asking, and the answer is screaming to those in Rome, and it's screaming to you and me, no, nothing. God's plan for you, for me, for us as a body, for this nation, for time is coming about. So seek Him with everything that you have. Those 15 minutes that you plan to start your day in His Word, why don't you make it 20 this week? That drive up 55 and around 40 in the streets that you go down wherever the office is. Why don't you spend it talking to him? The conversation that you have over fast food takeout with your family wherever it happens. Why don't you turn it to him? The tribulation the distress, the persecution, the famine, if it comes, why don't we set now our mind in such a way that we say, if it comes or when it comes, I know that it's a momentary light affliction. And I know, I know you have so much for me. That your plans for me are for a future of glory with you. Why don't we set about our day to seek the welfare of the city? I'm going to close the sermon this way in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 7. It states these words. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Heavenly Father, as your word has been spoken, God, as as you have stated that all these promises are coming about, Father, that that the attention that I have every day needs to remain on you. Father, would you use us to reach this city? God, would you speak as we as we come to a time of, of response? God made this challenge. Father, may it grab a hold of us. God, may our lives be used to bring you glory. 
every eye up here before we stand and sing, just as they're playing. Listen. It would be so easy to, to look at that passage, to look at that passage and say, hey, you don't need to be a part of the world. You, you, your, your focus has to be on Him. Everything that you do needs to be on Him. Yes, that's true. But nowhere in that does it say, hey, don't have extracurricular activities. Don't be a part of this aspect or that aspect. But may I challenge you this way. Leverage whatever that is. Leverage whatever that is. For his glory. Some of you have the opportunity to speak into seven and eight and ten year olds and fourteen year olds on a weekly basis. Yeah, we teach them we teach them how to dribble with their feet or with their hands, how to hit a ball. Leverage it for his glory. Some of you sit around the table with co-workers who don't have a clue who God is. Leverage it for his glory. Whatever you do in this world, in this week, leverage it for his glory. Father, would you show us this morning you show us this morning what that next step is. Father, may we, may I, may I be obedient. Stand and join us as we sing and you respond to what he has stated.